Hello, friends and foggers. This is Reed, and we wanted to give you a brief word of consideration and discretion about this week's episode. This week, we discuss Witchfinder General from 1968, which is a landmark film in the folk horror genre. The film contains a scene of sexual assault that, although not explicit, may be upsetting to some viewers. Our conversation addresses this element in the horror genre at large, as well as its parallels to some biblical passages and the tropes that emerged from those stories in horror films. The conversation is one we are very proud of and that we think we will enjoy, but we wanted to give this brief word of consideration for those who may find the subject a bit too sensitive. Thank you, as always, for listening, and now, on with the show. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every single week we discuss what scares us. In order to find what saves us, this is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, Reed was here, but he said he needed to go find some good horses, whatever that means. Um, While we wait on Reed, permit me to welcome on and introduce you listeners to our newest friend of the fog. His Twitter bio enigmatically reads, PhD student studying horror and the Hebrew Bible, which invites all sorts of questions. But nonetheless, welcome to the show today, Leland Merritt. Leland, thank you for being on with us today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to get into this fun movie. It's a, <laughs> it's a rollicking, a rollicking good time. Um, <laughs> Uh, listeners, Leland is going to help me today find the devil's mark on Reed. But before we do that, permit me to remind you that here at the fear of God, we explore. We do not explain. Except for right now when I explain that you can find all things foggy at thefearofgodpodcast.com. Things such as and especially how to support us on Patreon. But wait, who is this emerging from the fog but the one, the only, Reed Lackey? Reed! You'll, you'll find no devil's mark on me, I tell you. <laughs> okay you 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 did decently so Leland, oh, oh yeah this, it's listen Leland, it's not the, the, not my proudest moment but well hey, hey. i mean it's better than some of your recent ones um wow so uh, we, it's this little improv game right of, of reed being off doing a thing and and you know reed will always come on and just like contradict whatever it is i just said I like well that that's not that wasn't the intention um wow. okay real quick Read, Leland, we've got some quick business to attend to before we get to the main discussions for today. One, listener, if you are finding us for the first time today, uh, maybe you're, you know, like, uh, uh, what is someone's finally talking about Witchfinder General? Or maybe, you know, Leland Merritt, or, you know, maybe you're like, what the folk? What is this? Yes, that's right. Welcome today 
to a brand new four-part series, an interlude in the middle of Shamalamarama. Uh, check the the uh, uh, previous episodes for that, where we will be specifically looking at some folk horror films. So yes, the series is called What the Folk. Starting today with the Vincent <laughs> Price starring Witchfinder General. Two, we have relaunched the Fog merch store with fresh and refreshed Fog swag for the month of June. Get 10% off using promo code TWIST. If you're a patron, there's a post in that feed with a code good for 20% off your whole order. That's right. Check it out. Get you some Fog swag. That is enough business for now. Gentlemen, shall we Shall we watch you for our patrons? Let's do that. We'll be right back mm. to just, you know, we'll, we'll come back after the watcha and we'll just totally falsify naming people witches and the abuse of our state assigned powers. We discuss Witchfinder General. Oh, Message yeah. to the patron mobile. So about this episode today, Leland, <laughs> our our new friend. So Reed, I'm going to let you take the ball on the movie and I'm going to ask okay. Leland a couple questions here. So Leland, Sounds anytime good. we have a brand new guest uh, and now we're out of the Patreon segment, everybody gets to hear your answers to this question. Uh, so make them good. Okay. Uh, make them deep, <laughs> well, make them profound, make them meaningful. Um, <laughs> no pressure. It's they're just, not meaningful, but they're good. Right, right. So. <laughs> So I, I referenced a minute ago your um, Twitter handle or your Twitter bio, rather, uh, that says PhD student studying horror and the Hebrew Bible, which is a, a really good segue into this. So any new person, we ask two questions. Um, one of them is what got you into this? This meaning kind of the world of horror, the genre of horror, the medium of film horror or whatever, you know, pick your poison there uh, and then follow that up with like what scares you? One of our mantras on the show uh, is find, uh, exploring what scares us to find what saves us. And so we're all about just pointing to those dark, scary things. Now, don't get me wrong. This can be kind of lighthearted and fun and, and you know, kind of surfacey if you want to be. It can also be like really deep and poignant and meaningful. So, you know, kind of choose your path there. But so those are the two questions. Answer them in any order. But what got you into this? This meaning kind of the horror genre. Uh, and then what what scares you? Sure. Uh, thank you. So uh, horror, I've always, ever since I was a kid, you know, uh, I, I've loved horror. You know, I was slow to learn to read, but I was always jealous of my brother reading Goosebumps growing up. And mm. uh, and I couldn't really read them because I, I wasn't the best student at first. And um, <laughs> so I was jealous, but and I would sneak in and kind of like when my dad would be watching a horror movie, my dad loves horror movies. I would try to sneak in behind him so he didn't know I was there and, and, and watching him. So I ended up watching, you know, the original Halloween way too young and, you know, oh, but, awesome. it, but, but I loved it, you know? And so, uh, growing up and, um, but then when I was in, uh, finishing up, uh, seminary, uh, my, my first master's program, I was working at the library and, you know, I was putting up some books and I came across, um, uh, Amy Kalmanowski's, uh, dissertation. It was uh, titled, terror all around the rhetoric of horror in the book of jeremiah and i immediately you know i was like you know brought it to my coworker. i was like i know i'm working right now i need you to check this out for me to me <laughs> and uh and went and read it and i was like this is such a fascinating way of of reading the old testament and um 
and then from there, I, I went to, I, I did a second master's at a different university and I got away from it, from the idea of using horror to interpret the, uh, the Hebrew Bible um, that they, uh, I kind of mentioned it to my advisor there and he was kind of like, yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> but, but so he, yeah. And so I ended up leaving there and starting at my current uh, PhD program uh, where I took a class with uh, Tammy Schneider. And if, if you don't know who she is, she's one of the like, preeminent feminist scholars of the old testament you know she's mm-hmm. written she has a book on ancient mesopotamia but she, she has a book on um uh women in the book of genesis and uh uh so that's kind of her thing she's very uh, feminist interpretations of, of, of the old testament and mm-hmm. the first class i took with her was um, women in the book of genesis mm-hmm. and the way the class was kind of run was on the very first day you got your syllabus and she said you know Every week, we're going to do a different woman in the book of of, uh, of Genesis. So week one, you know, week two would be Eve. You know, then you do Sarah. Then you do Hagar, and, and, and all the way until the very. I think Potiphar's wife is the last one. And so uh, each week, a different student would present one of the women, and whatever woman you got, that was what your final paper would be on, and. Uh, so on the very first day of class, she, you know, everyone gets the syllabus and she goes, okay, we're going to go around and you're going to tell me which woman you want to, to do. And I had no idea. I mean, this is my first semester of my PhD program, you know, and I was just, I don't know. And so everyone went and the only woman left was Dina, um, which is Genesis 34, which is this, uh, it's the, the rape of Dina passage, mm-hmm. which is a very hard passage. And yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know. Dina, I mean, this is what, what do you say? You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. so anyway. So I started for weeks. I was like, what am I going to do with this this passage? Now, coincidentally, I had also set a goal for myself in my free time. Uh, I was working through a, a a coffee table book called The Essential Horror Movies, and uh, because oh. I grew I grew up watching a lot of like low budget horror movies with my dad. My dad like he loves horror movies, but he really loves like bad sci-fi movies and so i'd seen a lot of bad stuff and i was like what is the good stuff that i've missed and so so i i had bought this book and i was like over the next two months i'm going to watch every one of these so i can get through it and i finally came to uh the movie the last house on the left Wes craven's movie Last oh House yeah oh yeah and i and i kind of knew it was about and i was like i don't really you know rape and revenge i don't you know that doesn't seem like a good time and it's not a good time it's, mm, it's not fun. <laughs> um, but I I watched it, and as soon as it ended, I went, "Oh, this is Genesis 34. This is Dina." Hmm. And so I uh, then then you know the next week in, after class, I, I said, "Dr. Schneider, I need to talk to you. Uh, I have an idea, but I need your approval <laughs> to see <laughs> what you think." And she said, "Oh, sure, you know." And um, I brought it down for her. I said, there's a bunch of movies that were made in the 70s and 80s about rape and revenge. Yeah. And there's a lot of scholarship in film about it. And what I want to do is I want to take that scholarship and I want to apply it to Genesis 34. And she's like, Leland, I hate horror movies, but give it your best shot. <laughs> and um, so a few weeks later, I presented the paper or presented it and she ended up loving it. I mean, she's like, I've oh, never thought of it this way. I've, you know, I mean, she's been reading this passage, you know, for decades <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, I've never considered it this way. And then, uh, 
after I wrote my paper, she was like, this is your, this is your dissertation. And she ended up telling me that, you know, four more times before I finished coursework, but (laughs) (laughs) dissertation topic ended up changing a few times, but, but that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to do horror in the Bible. That's going Mm. to be uh, my thing. And, and while I was writing that, I ended up getting connected to uh, Brandon Grafius, who uh, y'all had on uh, uh, earlier this year. And, uh, and he, uh, I think had just published his dissertation uh, watch watching slashers reading Phineas mm-hmm. and he was you know really kind of has taken me under his wing in a lot of ways and uh, uh, has uh, been a been a good friend of mine and uh, kind of a big mentor in a lot of ways giving me some writing opportunities and suggested you know hey check out this conference and uh, so he's been kind of um, uh, his work has been really influential on me and uh, but yeah so that's kind of how I got connected to to Bible, I was already a PhD student in Hebrew Bible, but getting connected to the horror genre and working at the Bible—that's awesome. That lens, yeah. That's so fantastic. So, so what scares you? <laughs> Finishing <laughs> dissertations, maybe. So, on on the note of watching bad horror movies with my dad, uh-huh. um, when I was a kid, I was watching the movie Arachnophobia. Ooh. And my dad, who's a psychiatrist, mind you. Uh, made the fatal mistake of sending me to bed before the movie was over. <gasps> oh no! And so I have this, you know, from a you know Freudian standpoint, I have this unresolved issue in my head. I cannot, I can't even look at tarantulas. Cannot stand them. Wow! I just like. <laughs> so have you seen Enemy? Enemy uh, the movie. The movie Enemy. No, I, I saw someone recently reference that on like TikTok or something. Oh there- boy! Okay, well you maybe shouldn't. Then I was being a little <laughs> cheeky, but thinking maybe you had, but don't. Uh, yeah, if mm. if your spy if your spider sense is that strong, uh, oh. maybe avoid that one. <laughs> I and I'm okay with like small spiders. You know, like I had a mm. house spider yeah. crawl across. You won't my like desk. this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a. Um, do y'all uh, ever check uh, doesthedogdie.com? I think no, I've, oh, I've heard of this. Yes, okay, I I've heard the, of this. So it's um, it's meant for people with you know like trigger warnings. Kind of, mm, it sure. all started off as like people you know got sick of tired of watching you know these movies with you know the nice cute dog, and then at the end they kill the dog off. And you're like, oh god, you know you're sad for months, sure. and so they finally started this website called doesthedogdie.com, and it exploded into like now it has like hundreds of you know, triggers that could be, you know, anything from like, does the dog die to, are there spiders in it to, sure, there, yeah. Uh, does a kid get, you know, abducted, you know, just you right now. Um, that's a, that's probably a worthwhile uh, uh, place to go for the cautionary information. And in fact, oh, it's yeah. funny, you've mentioned both dogs dying and Halloween uh, in this conversation. We just did <laughs> back in the fall, what we called Halloween at Halloween, where we did the entire franchise of Halloween. And oh, I was God. like, this is ridiculous. The number of dogs Michael Myers kills in these movies. Like, <laughs> Jeez, Louise, man. You just see it. And you're like, that dog's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Myers said He's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> No. no. Oh my gosh. Well, Leland, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your time with us. Um, we, man, we're just so happy to have you. I'm, I love somewhat selfishly. I love the number of um, people who are coming with academic perspectives to this because I feel like in a little way, and you know, I'll have like, 
30 seconds of therapy here, but like in a way it just sort of legitimizes like, yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of in, intellectual <laughs> yeah. things happening here, you know, like, oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> meanwhile, it's like, okay, no, uh, you know, so why are you queuing up all these, you know, very, very uh, trashy <laughs> drive-in B movie here. It's for oh. research. Okay. It's for academia. Okay. That's my. <laughs> Leland said so. Dr. Yeah. Snyder gave it her seal of approval. <laughs> like, we're going to do a podcast about it. Um, so, but, uh, <laughs> but no, so sincerely, um, uh, we, we wanted to start off specifically. And I have, I have just sort of one follow-up question um, that branches a little bit off of that and is going to segue us into the primary film that we're discussing today and the series that we are launching as an intermission in between um, bookends of Shyamalama Rama. Um, so specifically, we are starting a series of four films uh, that would be classified in the folk horror genre. Folk horror is something that is uh, kind of difficult to uh, define in easy, simple layman's terms, because broad applications can be made uh, about certain things that say like, well, this could be considered folk horror. This could be considered folk horror. I did a little bit of preliminary research, and then I'm coming to you you know, kind of for an expert's question. Um, I did a little bit of research and we've actually covered, although we didn't call it this or, or in a particular series, we've covered a lot of things that would be considered folk horror. We covered the witch, of course, we covered apostle. Um, there've been several films along the way that, uh, the Wailing, which is a South Korean film. I really love, okay. like we, we covered a lot of things that, that would be considered folk horror. So I'd like you to share a couple of thoughts before we get into today's film, which again is called Witchfinder general. Um, just about that genre, uh, and and if you're able to sort of set some parameters, sort of you know as as best we can, sort of bring our listeners up to speed. Like, what is this genre? What when people talk about folk horror? What the what, folk? What do they mean? <laughs> yeah, what the folk, everybody. So uh, yeah, take it away, Leland. It's so funny because folk horror is very hard to define, and mm -hmm. maybe it shouldn't be because it's uh, as it really anything. I I think when it comes to genre, because as soon as you define a genre. You get a director who goes, okay, I'm going to sub subvert that. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, art, these artist types, you know, the creative types, which is a good thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. You know, it, which, is, which is a good thing. But um, I was recently reading um, an article by uh, um, Oren Gray, who's uh, one of my favorite fiction writers. Hmm. He, he, he writes short stories. He's great. Uh, but he was writing, uh, he was doing reviews of... Um, this this collection of folk horror movies put out by Severn Films called uh, All the Haunts BRs, uh, which, which is Sorry. a collection. My wife bought it for me for Christmas. I think it, would she paid like two hundred and twenty bucks for it. It's expensive. I've had my eye on it, it for months. Expensive. Yes, it is worth yes. it. But mm. it's um, just because it, it, it you get you watch all these great movies. I, I love it. Oh, um, mm -hmm. But it comes with this like four hour documentary called. Uh, um, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Yes, yes. Which, which I've time. seen. I've seen that documentary. That documentary is phenomenal. It's great. It, is. it yeah. really is great. And so, uh, mm -hmm. but Oren Gray is doing this review of it, and he you know says you know folk horror. So the documentary opens up with like everyone trying to describe it, and it gets mm -hmm. to where like some people are starting to contradict each other, and mm -hmm. uh, and he you know he kind of comes to this like uh, no one really seems to agree, but we all kind of seem to agree on certain aspects of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when you start looking at these aspects, you, you know, things that were definitely considered folk horror end up not being folk horror. Things that are probably not folk horror 
end up being full core. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, under this definition, you know, child's play is full core. And it's like, okay, well, is it really? <laughs> you know, kind of. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but it's really funny because he, he, Oren Gray even points out like the three main full core movies, the, uh, they call it the unholy trinity of full core is uh, Witch Finder General, The Wicker Man, and Blood on Satan's Claw. And, he, and he's kind of like under a lot of what we define as full core, which finder general doesn't really seem to fit into that, that genre. So already one of the main three of the trilogy is already <laughs> not even a part of full core. Yes. And so, yes. Uh, so when I think of full core, you know, what I think is that kind of that, that the essence of that story of like these strangers come into a small secluded town, uh, and they start to meet the people of that town and they discover that this there's some sort of strange peculiar belief system often religious often pagan or occult or something that like harkens back to pre-christian or or i should say like pre-modern mm. uh, like a pre-modern era and then this strange belief will come into conflict with uh, the the modern error, modern beliefs, and that will lead to some big finale. You know, the Wicker Man. We, you know, I don't. Can I spoil the Wicker Man? You know, it's, yeah, we've covered the Wicker Man, so okay. it's all fair game. Yep, yep, okay. both of them. Wicker Man and the Wicker <laughs> yeah, Man. It's true. You know, um, so that's what I think of when I think of a folk horror. Uh, it, it's this this conflict between pre modern and modern. Uh, th- these mm. beliefs. Uh, there's a guy named Adam Scoville who popularized what he called the folk horror chain, and mm. and, and he says in, in no way is it gospel. But um, mm. there's four aspects of what he calls the folk horror chain. So landscape. Mm. So whatever it is that the movie, you know, it has to do with a specific location, uh, isolation, or uh, so in these these areas, it's often very rural, but not always. So I would argue that Candyman is a folk horror movie, mm. um, but but in it it's not rural, it's downtown Chicago, right. but it's right. isolated. So the community of Cabrini Greens is very isolated, tight knit mm. group, and this tight knit group has a strange belief, mm. um, and so the strange belief is the third, uh, and then it leads to what Scoville calls the happening. Or the summoning, which is the big uh, the cl- climax, and so, so not every folk horror movie is going to have this, or folk horror because it's not going to have all four, but all four kind of are, are very recur- are re- recurring themes, yeah, uh, in these in, in this subgenre. So, um, if, if I may, I can I read two quotes that oh, really folk horror for me. So, yeah, um, absolutely. So my first quote is uh, Alexandra Hawk uh, from her article on uh, uh, called Dreaming of Leviathan, John Langan's The Fisherman in American Folk Horror. And uh, mm. Reed, I, can I reference that? We, we mentioned uh, John Langan. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah. and shout out mm. to your patron. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, so her quote is, uh, the particular horror in folk horror is embedded in the genealogy of the respective people's geography and the evolution of their social, cultural, and political systems in the origin and implementation of their ideologies and the durability of their traditions. Mm. And the, uh, the other quote uh, I wanted to read was from Howard David Ingham and uh, his, uh, 
has a book called We Don't Go Back, and it's um, he has like a chapter discussing folk horror, and then he has like reviews of every folk horror movie out there. Mm. It's um, it's very good, and I lost it two years ago, and I recently no. moved. I'm hoping it'll pop back up, but uh, but his quote is um, the tension of folk horror, the thing that makes it horror is out in the isolated places, unusual superstitions flourish. And these are the places we came from, the old places. Even if the old gods have died, there's something about these ancient geographies that make new gods flourish, where the old once reigned, the old grounds laying fallow are fertile for this sort of thing. Mm. So what I love about these two quotes and what I love about folklore uh, and why I actually kind of love what's friend in general mm. is folk horror is, is intimately tied to your location, your geography and the violence, the strange beliefs, the uh, sacrifices, the blood, all of mm-hmm. it gets tied to a cultural identity that we have tried to hide and put into the closet and Mm. slam shut and it comes back out and it comes and uh, whether we want to look for it or not, it's here. And folk horror then says, here it is. (laughs) And what I love, uh, one of the, uh, the passages I'm looking at for my, my dissertation is judges 19, Mm. which is um, uh, considered one of the, one more terrifying, uh, stories in, in the Bible, uh, one, one of the more horrific passages, and it's uh, it's the story of, um, uh, of of the Leverite and his Pelegish, uh, where she runs away from him at the beginning of the story. He goes gets her, and on their trip back uh, to to where he was from, which was Ephraim in the north country, and she was in Bethlehem, so she he ran all the way to Bethlehem to get her. They come and they decide to spend the night not in uh, Jerusalem, because in Jerusalem it, it was currently settled by the Jebusites at that time. He says, "I don't want to stay in Jerusalem because they're not our people. We're going to stay in Gibeah hmm. because they're Israelites. They're our people." And so they go there, and it's then it kind of uh, they're waiting for someone to invite them home so that they can spend the night, and no one offers them a, a place to stay. And then it very much takes a turn, uh, very reminiscent of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, finally, someone does say, hey, come home with me. And uh, as they're eating and drinking, men of the city, uh, it says like these uh, wicked men surround them and say, we want you know the man come out. And um, kind of like in Sodom and Gomorrah, except they don't get saved by angels. <laughs> mm. uh, instead, the the Leverite throws out his his Pelegish and they uh, they gang rape her all night until mm. the uh, um and in the morning he gets up and he goes out and he finds her laying there she had tried to crawl back and the imagery I mean it's it's heartbreaking yeah uh, he he she has her handle on the uh, the the doorway trying to like get back in and he picks her up uh, and carries her to Ephraim then he cuts her body into twelve. Uh, 12 pieces and sends each to the different tribes and says, you know, with Leonard says, nothing like this has ever happened in Israel uh, mm-hmm. and calls and essentially leads to the civil war. Now, mm-hmm. in this story, you know, it's very easy to read this story and go, okay, look, 
the Leverites from Ephraim, which is north. She's from Bethlehem. Uh, they go to Gibeah, which is where this entire atrocity happens. And Gibeah is, you know, that's where King Saul's about. So, you know, mm-hmm. it would be very easy for me to go, oh, this is about King David and King Saul and how King Saul's a failure. Uh, but I think that really misses the point of the passage. You know, I think it's very easy to be like, oh, it's a rape passage, but I don't want to deal with the rape. We, we're just going to talk up, make it about the men. That um, mm, it's um, really, it's about, I think what's so fascinating is that the people of Gibeah, they're not Jebusites. They're not Canaanites. They're Israelites. Mm, mm. And I think the people of ancient Israel, when they're reading this story, when they're hearing this story, they have to sit with that. They have to go, oh, this yeah. is my people. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it leads, and what does it do? It leads to civil war. And, and I love that, that, that line. Never has such a thing happened in Israel. Well, it did. Yeah, right, and, uh, right. And that, that, that same phrase, it's not, it's not always uh, spelled out the same way. It doesn't always use the same words, but it's in every, uh, there's three rape revenge narratives in the Old Testament. Mm. And that phrase, there's always that phrase, not such a thing does not happen in Israel. Uh, is repeated mm-hmm. in all three of them, and it's oh, like, wow. but it's it's it hits me because it's like, well, it did, and it does. Yeah, and yeah. So, um, you know, if I put you know Judges nineteen up against you know uh, Scoville's chain, I, I don't know if it is full core. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's it, you know maybe it is, maybe it isn't. There, there's a small rural location. You know, the peculiar belief might be kind of might kind of harken back to you know uh the genesis uh and sodom and gomorrah sure so, sure um, you know uh so i could go to school shame and say you know it is but i also think you know back to brandon grafius you know yeah he, he says you know our, our purpose and and i think his article the six theses of horror and bible is uh he says that it's not to prove that there's horror in the bible it's to say what can horror teach us about the Bible. So, yeah, right. What can right. full core teach us about uh, Judges 19 or really all of the book of Judges? Because all yeah. of the book of mm-hmm. Judges is about land. It's mm-hmm. about you have these strangers, you know, they're, they've returned to their land, but this, you know, it's been 400 years since they've been in this land. So, right. they're strangers in this land and they're now tr- in, in direct conflict with these people, with these weird, you know, quote unquote pagan, you know, using my finger quotes pagan yeah, sure. uh, pagan beliefs and so um and they're struggling and they're trying to their their religious identity is now in conflict with the religious identity of the people right and all of judges then leads up to judges 19 which is directly i mean you know there's 21 chapters in judges but judges 19 is the like climax because it leads to the civil war that finishes off the book right right uh and it's um everything about judges is it's constantly getting worse. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, everything it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And you keep getting the repeated line. There's, you know, this was a time where there was no King people did as they wanted to. And it's mm-hmm. constantly getting worse. And it leads up to the climax of our own people are, are rapists. <laughs> are, yeah, are wow. raping and, uh, you know, and murdering. And, um, mm-hmm. and f- so, so reading it through the lens of full court makes it very, hard to sit with but yeah it, it, it kind of you know it, it looks at this new light of like this is uh, a way to kind of to grasp it and, and to see it 
And right. uh, if, if you allow me a nerdy moment. Uh, oh, by all judging, means. <laughs> I don't know if uh, either of you or your listeners know uh, biblical Hebrew, but in Judges 19, you get a, you get a jump scare. Oh, really? No, yeah. I didn't know this story. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so in, uh, well, I, I read it as a jump scare. So in, um, in, in Hebrew, if you took Hebrew one, a, a word you learn is a word hine, which is often translated as behold. And, and it's always fun in your Hebrew one class because everyone, you know, translates their little elementary Hebrew as behold, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it can be a very strong behold, like in Isaiah six, behold the throne room of God, or it can be like, you know, hey, look over there, you know, kind of. Yeah, sure. Hine has that kind of, but, um, but in uh, Judges 19, 22, you have them, they're at the guy's house, they're, you know, the horses are being fed, they're eating, they're drinking, they're washing them, they're washing their feet. And then Hene, the perverse men have surrounded the house. Oh. And so it's, like, it's like, hey, they're chilling, it's quiet, everyone's relaxing, bam jump scare boo <laughs> you know wow <laughs> and i argued awesome. that uh, in my uh my my comp my co- during my comprehensive exams i had to translate uh the entire passage and i argued i was like this is a jump scare <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> my, that's so great my my, my, uh, my board loved it <laughs> like oh no that's great that, no that's that awesome really funny, no. what i what i love about all of this really is like you know i i I think if I'd been asked an hour ago, hey, name some folk horror movies, I would have said, oh, let's find a general <laughs> uh, Wicker Man. Um, uh, you know, I, Reed, I would even say Shamal, uh, The Village is a bit uh, folk mm-hmm. horror uh, based yep. on yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Sco- Scoville's chain here. But yep. what yep. I didn't know is just how malleable that definition was. What I what I didn't know is that what the folk would truly fit as a title for this series, because it's like, well, Absolutely. what? <laughs> it's true no it's true on on that on that note you read go oh sure so about this movie um so yeah thank you so much for all of that leland it's 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 really fascinating to me and and i just i appreciate so much um just a broad sort of affirmation validation uh maybe you don't need any of that but uh i just love so much the ways in which because Many, many passages of the Bible, the entire book of Judges, much of the books of Kings and Chronicles like, are full of some stuff that do have resonances with the just plain narrative text with lots of iconic or uh, templated or even tropic horror films. And so it's really fascinating when somebody dives into all of that. And I'm like, man, that is just, it's really, really interesting. And what I've come to appreciate through the course of doing this show and just through all of the things that I've read and heard over time about the horror genre is the ways in which um, fiction and specifically like the, the tropes of horror can help us to enter into those more troublesome passages with a different context and, and perhaps give us something that we can actually wrap our hands around and begin to have a better discussion instead of trying to find like, yeah, well, how are we going to, how are we going to squeeze this into a life lesson to take away? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, how, how are we going to get the bumper sticker on this? Um, but uh, we wanted to do this folk horror series and kind of formalize what we've been scratching at, as I've said, for you know the past seven years of doing the show. Uh, we've we've done films that would classify in the genre. The four that we're going to be covering for this little mini series, The Intermission to Shamalamarama, uh, are going to be, of course, Witchfinder General. Uh, next week, we are going to do The Blood on Satan's Claw. Um, so that will round out that unholy trinity because we covered Wicker Man, uh, both versions, as Nathan said, like, uh, you know, quite a while ago. Um, 
And then we're going to be going to one that's more recent. Um, I believe it was from last year called You Won't Be Alone, a film that I loved, not to foreshadow too much. Um, I loved that film, been looking for an excuse to talk about it. So we're going to be talking about You Won't Be Alone. And then uh, we've got a film that was actually recommended to us by uh, one of our listeners at our Fogaween party, uh, a, a film from, I believe, Thailand, uh, either Thailand or South Korea. I need to look it up. Maybe a merger of... of uh, uh, kind of a hybrid uh, of of regions that it comes from, but it's called The Medium. Uh, it was from like two or three years ago. And um, so I'm very excited for us to get through this series. But without further ado, um, Nathan informed me beforehand. I, I mentioned to him uh, kind of in our texts off pod. I was like, is this our first Vincent Price? It, it's, it's the first one where Vincent Price is the star. But Nathan uh, uh, checked me. Stephen Beckley would be proud, our continuity guru, uh, that uh, uh, Vincent Price is, in fact, in Edward Scissorhands, which we have covered before. But um, this is the first time that we've covered one where Vincent Price is the star. A uh, couple of bits of little like trivia to just get out of the way, and then want to round robin our thoughts on the film in general. Uh, Witchfinder General was originally going to be a one of the series of like Edgar Allan Poe films. Uh, Vincent Price had been in a number of Edgar Allan Poe movies, The Fall of the House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Mask of the Red Death, plenty of films, many of them produced by Roger Corman. Um, and it's like this whole series. We can make that whole series in and of itself. And they wanted to capitalize on that. And they wanted to release this as The Conqueror Worm, which is a poem by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and they did. They they released it as The Conqueror Worm. It's got nothing to do with the poem. It's got nothing to do with, like, nothing. There's there's no resonance whatsoever. They purely stole the title because it's in the public domain and they could do so. Uh, it has nothing to do with it. And so then it migrated into what it is now more popularly known as, which is Witchfinder General. Um, and it is based in some reality. Matthew Hopkins was a historical figure uh, who did, in fact... Uh, hunt and and kill a vast amount of people on the crime of witchcraft. Um, I looked this up. This dropped my jaw. Leland, maybe you knew this already, but this had, I was genuinely stunned. It's rare for me to be stunned by a piece of trivia. I'm going to read this exactly how it was written on uh, IMDb. It said, the real Matthew Hopkins was only in his mid-20s in 1645. He died before he was 30. But he and Stern, which is the character, his little stooge that goes with him in the film, Right. He and Stern executed more than 300 people, mainly women, during their two or three years of witch hunting. And it says, this is the part that had my stomach in knots. It said, considering that 500 people in total were executed for witchcraft in England between the late 15th and late 18th centuries, that means that Hopkins himself was responsible for two-thirds of those, of those executions. And it's just like... What a sadistic, psychopathic mind that would conceive all of this. And of course, Vincent Price as a character or as an actor just, you know, uh, dives into that with full relish. He embraces every aspect of that of that sadism. Um, so before we get too too much further down the line, Nathan, I did not pull up the uh, the Apple TV summary uh, oh. or the Apple uh, summary of this film. Um, I do have the ID IMDB one at the ready. If you want me to read that do one, it, or, do it. okay. I so, um, so it, this is very simple. It's one sentence. If you want to know what Witchfinder General is about, a young soldier seeks to put an end to the evils caused by a vicious witch hunter when he terrorizes the soldier's fiance and kills her uncle. So this is also to a degree, a kind of a, a revenge narrative. Um, it does involve, uh, we've already t- 
touch the subject a little bit, but in case listeners are here, we, you know, won't get into too many graphic specifics, but uh, there is a, an assault scene in the film um, being a film from the sixties. It of course handles it so that the censors wouldn't ban the movie, but it, it's still present. It's still very difficult to watch. Um, with those sort of puzzle pieces in play, this is about, you know, a, a, a witch hunter, a witch finder, a historical figure named Matthew Hopkins. Uh, Leland, I'm going to go to you. You've uh, spent a little bit of time already, like kind of talking about what you love about it. Uh, I want to know a little bit, like, where did you first encounter the movie? Is this something that's always been in the ether? Did you stumble upon it more recently? Like, when did you first encounter Witchfinder General? So I uh, actually think it might have been Brandon Grafius who first recommended it. Oh, to me. Okay. I was trying to find the email, but it would have been, you know, four years old now. Uh, <laughs> I think he recommended it to me when I was first doing research on on rape revenge uh, stories. Yeah. And then later when I uh, so I, I, I had watched it um, then and then later when I was doing research on folk horror, I saw, oh, it's, you know, kind of the trilogy. I was like, oh, I know that and sure. rewatched it for that. And uh you know, when I was doing stuff in full core and, and, and looked at it a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's when I first listened, probably 2019 when I first watched it, 2018. Oh, okay. Uh, so more recent. Know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, uh, no, I didn't grow up watching. <laughs> 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 it is, uh, Understood. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. So I, yeah. And I came across it and it's, it is kind of a hard to watch movie mm -hmm. uh, just because, you know, Vincent Price, he, he does a great job with, with Hopkins, but mm -hmm. he's still, it's, there's no redeeming, you know, qualities to Hopkins. I mean, he no. plays it as evil as he can, you know, just, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes you, you know, watch like Scar and Lion King, and you're like, well, I kind of get why you're evil, but, you know, uh, and here you're like, you're just, you're evil because you're evil kind of thing. It's and, um, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Just doing the worst, you know, kind of. You know, the scene where he's like undressing, and he's like, Yeah, fetch me the two younger witches so I can yes. interrogate. You're just like, Oh man, dude. Oh stop. my god, he is so he is so freaking slimy in this movie. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into some specifics in just a little bit. Nathan, I'm gonna uh I'm gonna come to you uh and I don't believe you had seen this film before, but correct me on that if I'm wrong, and what'd you think of it? I I had never heard of this movie. Uh <laughs> and you know, uh, while by no means um, enmeshed in the depth of the academic sort of picture you painted, Leland, of, of the definitions that exist for folk horror, I had at least a tonal expectation, right? You know, I mean, we've uh, Wicker Man being sort of a signature work, you know, and, and mm -hmm. The Witch and several others that have been named. But so I kind of had a tonal expectation and that honestly was a little undercut in the first you know 10 15 minutes like oh this is not what i was expecting but uh other than its period nature right you know the sure the, the period aspect of it the religious uh sort of entwining of the story there and i will own that i was uh an hour ago years old when i discovered the fact reed just threw out about hopkins being a real person my jaw oh. dropped seeing that i was like what the Hulk. <laughs> what? You know, uh, I just, yeah. it didn't even occur to me. Um, mm -hmm. That adds a whole layer of what the folkery that I just wasn't ready for. <laughs> I was like, oh man, wow. Mm -hmm. This dude is a conqueror worm. Emphasis on the worm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I watched it the other night and um, 
you know, there's, <laughs> I have to mention here that because of uh, totally, totally off this film, but pulling it back in, um, I am a huge fan of the just finished Joe Barry. And so in the wake of its series finale have been on a hater kick, Bill hater kick of just watching mm -hmm. a ton of his interviews and SNL sketches and stuff. And he does such an impeccable Vincent price in a recurring sketch from SNL where he's hosting a Halloween party. <laughs> he is Vincent price hosting a Halloween party of stars, uh, in the late sixties. And what's wild is because it'd been a minute since the only other Vincent price movie, I think I'm familiar with, which is Edward Scissorhands. It's been a minute since I've watched that. I was unprepared for just how good a Vincent price um, I was unprepared for how good the real Vincent Price is at his impression of Bill Hader playing Vincent Price. Like it is incredible <laughs> how good Hader is at that at that impression. So like you're That's watching awesome. the first ten minutes of this with the cons with the consumption I've been doing, I was like. Okay, this is going to take me a minute to calibrate because that's not Bill Hader. Because <laughs> it's so good. Um, that's awesome. And then he is a wretched turd, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the further this film goes. And honestly, I was ready to be kind of just okay on the movie. Like, you know, it, it partly because, again, uh, it's it was tonally atypical to my expectations. And it, it doesn't really... Um, Y'all have both mentioned the assault that happens and some of the story content, but it's not a very graphic movie. And yeah, so I was like, okay, tonally, not what I was expecting, not traditional horror imagery. Um, but by the end, you're like, oh my God. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, oh yeah. Uh, okay. This is, this is a solid, solid flick. And I'm, uh, uh, you know, to say you're glad you watch it is, is a weird statement to make, but like, yeah, uh, enjoyed enjoyed the experience of watching it. So yeah, had no familiarity with it. Um, mm -hmm. And and yeah, now I'm versed. It's a uh, it's an incredibly compelling film, um, and I feel like it's it's hard to dismiss its power. And that's pretty impressive considering how old it is. I mean, this film is from 1968, so we are already coming. I mean, it'll have it's it's basically 55 years old now. And despite not really, to your point, Nathan, despite not really having anything that's visually terribly graphic, um, they, they, they show some restraint there. But narratively, it is so harrowing because you, you I mean, I, well, I won't speak for beyond myself, but I kind of got the sense from the very first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, like, okay, this is this is where this is going. Like, you could forecast everything. Um, now, I had seen this film when I was young, but I must confess that I did not remember very much of it. I remembered having seen it, but I, I mean, openly, I've seen so much Vincent Price horror material, all of those Edgar Allan Poe stuff that Witchfinder General didn't stand out in my mind as something like, oh, that's the one about this, 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 and this. So when I was rewatching it, um, you know, maybe I resonated with it because there was something in the back of my mind that I, oh, I remember this is what's happening. But uh, it just felt it just felt like from the time he's headed into the town, which I've forgotten. There's so many towns that are mentioned here. Yeah. I don't remember which one the very first Suffolk. one was, but but Suffolk was the first one. Okay, that's right. Um, so when he's first heading into Suffolk, I knew I was like, oh my god, he's gonna he's gonna do dreadful things in this town. And then that soldier that we met and then went away, I was like. Some, yeah, <laughs> he's gonna uh, he's gonna have some some revenge up his sleeve for this. 
But what I found so uh, compelling about it is it, and why I think it is considered one of the landmarks in this genre is um, it never blinks or pulls its punch for the story that it's committed to. Like it, it gives you no relief. Once you know this is the path we're on, it, we're going to be getting into a segment in a second for that ain't right. And some of the stuff may come up, but there are a couple of shots in here where I'm like, dang, like just, okay. They just, <laughs> they just left it there on the screen for us to see. And you kind of, you kind of have a difficulty shaking it because of its boldness and because of its brazen lack of flourish or anything. It's just sort of there. And we can get into that in, in just a little bit, but I do find this film really, really compelling. I think there should be some caution against like, you know, uh, people who are sensitive to its subject matter, but otherwise this is a film. I understand what you mean, Nathan, when you say like glad having watched it, it's a film that is going to generate the, the sense of a compelling narrative, provocative things to think about, uh, very, very strong performances pretty uniformly. So, uh, so yeah, I can really understand that. But uh, uh, why don't we, yeah. i tell you what, Nathan, why don't you set us up for, for our that? Yeah, I was going to say, Reed, in, in case you forgot, we, we are a horror show. And so if it's, <laughs> if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, Leland, it's time for the part of the show we call, that ain't right. That ain't Sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> um, so Leland, you're our guest, you know, uh, uh, set up rather cheekily there a moment ago. Uh, that ain't right is the segment where, because we are a horror show and the things that uh, we watch in order to talk about are often replete with uh, viscera and and other factors um, of, of a horror nature. What, what would you pick from this film if you were to pick one thing top of your list, like this is the defining horror aspect of this movie? Uh, it can be a scene. Uh, it can be uh, a particular, you know, kind of uh, visual image. Um, sometimes we get a little meta, but but run with that. What what would be your number one? Sure. So uh, it's it's kind of you know, as as far as a horror movie goes, you could almost argue it's it's not a horror movie. You know, it doesn't. It's almost like this historical narrative, and mm -hmm. then you get the end. <laughs> you know, and uh, when I first, you know, I, I alluded uh, when I first watched this, it was uh, I was doing research on on rape revenge movies and narratives. Uh, and for for paper on uh, Genesis thirty four, uh, and I had this whole argument that in in rape revenge narratives, at least in the movies and also in Genesis thirty four, and really in all the rape revenge um, narratives in the Bible, um, you're never you 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 watch these movies and they're hard to watch. You know, I'm talking like you know, I spit on your grave, last house and left. Mm. Uh, just they're really hard to watch. You know, and you get the, the horrible, you know, sexual assault and, uh, and you're angry and you feel dirty and, and, and you're mad. And then you spend the second half of the movie and you're rooting, you're rooting for them to get their revenge. And, and, uh, and it's, and, and you cheer when they do these like, you know, castrations and, uh, you know, beheadings and, and all of this. And, and, and it's great. And I kept noticing that in these movies, the the person would win and then they would do almost like the ending of the graduate they would you know graduate you know graduate you with like these the camera would hold too long mm. 
and mm-hmm. you would see the character kind of start to sit with what they've just done. Yeah. Um, you know, so like in the last house on the left, the the dad is like holding the chainsaw as like the police come in and are like, "What are you doing?" And he's just sitting there like, "I don't know." And uh, at the end of "I Spit on Your Grave," you know, she's riding off in her 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 speedboat and she's victorious. And then she just kind of see her mouth kind of just like, huh? And then the credits roll and it just still the shot is just still on her and she's just like, oh, uh, you know what now? Yeah, <laughs> and right. uh, so when I was watching, when I first watched Witch Finder General, that last scene mm-hmm. just it stuck with me because, you know, the the guy Marshall he breaks free, you know, and he gets the axe. And this movie, you know, it, it's not super graphic, but there's blood in this movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, even the you know Stern when he gets shot, like the I thought it was pretty good effects, you know, where he's <laughs> got like flesh like hanging out of his shoulder, you know, and then you he gets this axe, and <laughs> it's kind of disappointing because you're just like get him, you know, and he's beating Vincent Price. And there's no blood, you know, you're just like. It's almost like, is that a rubber axe? You know, like you can only, <laughs> <laughs> just, there's no blood. And he's just, you know, it's almost like you're watching a high school play. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, you're like, okay. Because, so, right. Because I'm sitting there like, I want Vincent Price to suffer. Oh, I've yes. Hour and a half. I've earned the right to <laughs> see him finally get his up comments. Yes. You know, yes. Come up and, <laughs> and what does the director, what does uh, Matthew Reeves do then? He brings in the two guards. And their first look is, oh my God, you know, right? What is happening here? And the the guy takes this gun and mercy kills Vincent Price. And Marshall, you know, he's just like, you've taken him from me. You've taken him. And he just screams and screams and screams. And then, you know, his wife finally lets out her screams too. And, and, but like her screams are almost like, she's almost like in in fear of her own husband who just Mm. saved her. Yeah, right. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're left with. And no happy. There's no happy ending. And no. man, that that sticks with you because then you're left, you know, with your kind of, you know, the screen goes black, and you're left looking into your black mirror of like, wait, what did I just root for? <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. am I a bad guy because I want to see Vincent Price, you know, axed to death? Uh, and am I mad that he got shot? But I think if, if you ever read my article, it is it's actually out there, it's published. Uh, um, what I argue in Genesis 34 and in these rape revenge narratives is the, the narratives don't tell you what's right. Mm. So the, they're, they're not saying you're wrong to root for the revenge. Yeah. And you're not wrong to say, hey, this person may have gone too far. Um, so like in Genesis 34, you get... Uh, you know, there's this, you know, so Dina gets raped at the beginning of the passage and then the brothers trick the people of, of Shechem and they go in and they essentially have them all um, circumcised as like a way to like, you know, have this marriage, you know, I, w- I don't want to get too much into what Jesus for, but mm-hmm. they then go as they're like recovering from their circumcision surgery, they go in and they slaughter the entire town. Oh. At the end, Jacob, who has not spoken the entire passage, Finally says something. He didn't say anything when his daughter was raped. Finally says something and says, 
what you just did is you've made everyone else in the area is no longer going to want to talk to us. They're not going to deal with us. They're not going to hang out with us. Mm. They are going to look at us as if we were rancid monsters. And the, the, the term for like, uh, I say rancid monsters because it's the same term used uh, in Exodus uh, to describe the decaying fish of, of uh, the Nile when the Nile dries yeah. up. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the brothers or, or, you know, Jacob's sons, the brothers of Dina respond with, uh, should we have let him treat our sister like a whore? Mm. And then, and then cut, you know, roll credits. That's the end of the chapter. We don't really hear. We hear about Dina one more time. She's hanging yeah. out with them and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. Genesis 34 doesn't tell you who's right. You know, yeah. You know, right. I think back to when I was uh, in youth group, and you know, the Bible stood for basic instructions before leaving Earth. And then, <laughs> you know, and now I, I'm getting my PhD, and it's like the Bible's not prescriptive at all. You know, very, no, very, no. You, know, you, you get okay, feed the poor and the widow, and that's kind of you know everything else. <laughs> I, I don't. So in Genesis 34, it's like I don't know who's right. Is it Jacob that's right, or is it is it the brothers that's right? And then in uh, and so what to bring it back to a trainer general, the scene that I really just like tears me up. is like, who's right. You know, it's, yeah, you know, of course. Did Marshall is he, has he become a monster mm-hmm. in his, mm-hmm. you know, in wanting to torture uh, Hopkins or is he justified right. in revenge? And th- it doesn't give you the answer. <laughs> and, uh, well, and I think, I, I think if you'll permit me a second, like I think you've stumbled onto something that I find really powerful about these kinds of films and these kinds of stories in that like one of the potential advantages of a film like this is in what you just described is perhaps forcing us to sit with, hey, in some of those situations, there can be an urge and impulse to rise up and to fight back. But in that impulse to rise up and to fight back, to your point, like that may not be the right answer either. And what you're left with may only be loss and pain and screams. And that may be all that you're left with, because that's all that this film leaves us with, even though definitively the evil, not only for these characters, but for the threat to the neighboring towns has been put to an end. That should be something we rejoice in. That should be something we're really happy about. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But it's not. And another thing that I think is is really interesting, and then um, I'll share my that ain't right, and then Nathan, I'll come to you. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the film. We're probably never going to cover it on this show. Um, but if, if you've ever heard of or seen the film Cannibal Holocaust, which is a film that uh, I have some problems with ethically and morally because of some other things that happen in the film anyway, but I have seen it. And one of the things that's that's fascinating to me about the film is that you are seeing a lot of things that unfortunately you can't unsee, which is why we're probably never going to cover it. But <laughs> in the contrast, you also have a genuinely no qualifier, a beautiful musical score that is happening beneath some really horrific visual images in that film. And a comparable thing, it stood out to me that in Witchfinder General, like the score to this is really quite lovely and it's pastoral and it's very, very pretty. And it really rung out to me as the credits were rolling that what we hear are her screams and his wails and it's primarily her screams. And then that beautiful score kicks back in and it really drives a contrast that I think is really compelling and very powerful about like, yeah, 
you may think you're pursuing some, you know, your own version of justice or rightness or whatever it is. And then there's something truly not connected about that. This is not lovely and good and peaceful and wonderful. There are screams underneath that tone. And it's, it's, I mean, I don't know that they were necessarily thinking that deeply into it when they made the film, but it was, it's a really powerful and a really very affecting thing. Um, I think I would add on to that. My, my, that ain't right. Um, is going to summarize a number of different scenes, which is just the torture scenes in general are, although they are not, uh, very many of them in the film. Uh, and as we've said multiple times, they are not exploitative in the sense of, you know, they don't hone in and, and show you a bunch of unnecessary things. They actually exercise uh, a, a remarkable degree of restraint in terms of what they visually show you. They are deeply, deeply uncomfortable to sit through. Um, the, the, the slapping around of the female prisoner who's in the, in the dungeon, uh, of course, the initial torture of the priest, uh, there's also the scenes towards the end. Um, so just my, that ain't right in general would just be like the scenes where they're trying to interrogate, as they say, they're trying to interrogate to find out if these people are truly witches are, uh, very, very stomach churning, even though what you visually see is, is pretty, um, subdued. It's, it's, it's pretty gnarly and very difficult to, uh, very difficult to kind of sit through. So that would be my, that ain't right. Nathan, what you got for us? I've got a humorous one and then a serious one, but because we probably won't return to didactics, uh, given our, our time, did y'all catch? Okay. So remember I said the first 10, 15 minutes of this, it's a little tonally different than I was expecting. And, you know, Vincent Price is, uh, of course, a bona fide classic and, uh, you know, it, it looks pretty the film, mm-hmm. but, uh, things like, I think the blood looks a little silly though. I don't disagree with what you're saying, Leland, in terms of when it, when it looks good, it does look good, but it's like they just got yeah. red paint uh, off the set. It's clearly, it's like, yeah, it's clearly glopped it on somebody. But <laughs> the, the that I'm going for is the the point of it. This bringing the the blood up is the sort of like lo-fi nature of it. Did y'all catch the scene on the road when Richard and Matthew are talking on horseback, and it's like that they, they just didn't have the lighting rig that day. Like there is a scene. <laughs> yes, it is shot in daylight, but they shoot on the <laughs> wrong side of these dudes, and they are in the dark. Like it is. I, I guarantee you that was not intentional or, or rather not a creative choice. It is not an artistic sure. choice for us yes. suddenly to have our actors completely obscured. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, the very first time I, I watched Nosferatu. And it's like, when you finally realize, Oh, this is supposed to be taking place at night. Uh-huh. But really they had like shot it all on day and then like use like a blue cover over. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of vibe. Well, I think my, my legit that ain't right is, you know, yes, uh, you took him from me is, is maybe a man. I've only seen it once and it was just a few days ago, but that's like a, that's like a top tier scene, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, in, 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 in horror cinema, but, uh, at least the things we've covered. And so I'm not claiming that one since it's already been named, but I think one of the reasons my jaw dropped so hard in realizing, oh my God, this was a real dude is like, we talk on the show a lot about how, the 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 digestion i was going to say consumption but then i checked myself the digestion of horror storytelling right mm-hmm. not just taking it in but but processing it helps us see the horrors in the real mm-hmm. uh and a word i was unfamiliar with pre-2016 but we damn well know it now of gaslighting and mm-hmm. watching this play out in this story is so horrifying like yeah yeah the 
the rhetorical paradoxes they put on these people for what their confession is, right? Mm-hmm. If you do the natural human thing, that means you are a witch or possessed yeah. of the demon or whatever. But if you die, that must mean you're not. It's like, oh my God, like they're, you know, you've yeah. created a zero win scenario for people to extricate themselves from these situations, which is why you you kind of end up loving that uncle so much. Like this is a dude who has gritting his teeth to the bitter end. And, and, yes. and, and, and so it was just such a, a jarring, there's, there's real visceral kind of uh the attack richard makes on matthew at the end like this is a an attack a physical attack that that's brutal and and what his character expresses at the end of that that's one form of horror another Mm -hmm. form is the psychological torture that gaslighting is and and Mm -hmm. and 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 i mentioned a minute ago about the capacity to observe these things in quote-unquote safe spaces like a horror movie right like oh god how is that and it's 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 the I think I would, yes, I, I suppose I'm owning this for myself. It's the mature individual, uh, especially the mature, I would say, uh, person of depth, person of faith, who's able to say, hmm, I, I'm seeing that hmm. out in the real world, right? And like yeah. the capacity of people in power to psychologically manipulate us to con- to in, a, in an effort to convince us of a thing that is not real. So uh, for me... Yeah that yeah. you know uh because uh, because i'm like you read some of the torture stuff like i thought the now as lo-fi as i just said the movie can be in places the um i think the character's name is elizabeth i don't know when i'm making that up her death by burning that was good that was lord wicked lord, yeah i mean i couldn't believe they pulled that off you know i didn't yeah. study yeah. it too closely but yeah. i did actually it's funny i say that i did uh, uh rewind uh the scene when they're dropping them into the water so i was uh-huh. like how are they doing this how are they doing oh. this? I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to look for the cut, you know, yeah, where it's, sure, where sure. it's dummies versus people, but it looks like real people on those lines. Yeah. They may very well have been submerged just in, in the real. Um, but it's, yeah. I mean, the, I think that's the thing though, is that the film has a low fi nature, but it's never cheap except for maybe I shouldn't say never cheap. That blood, that blood, blood looks cheap. That is neon red. The red paint. That is blood in quotation marks. <laughs> you, know, you know, somebody. You know, somebody had a conversation when the prop man got back and like, "Wow, you got right red." Right. Paint. What? <laughs> what like, is this? You know, it's blood what, before. <laughs> it's it's what they had. You know. <laughs> Who's the lining guy out on the road? Huh? You know, fire him. It's like. You talk know? to him if you want to talk yeah. to him. That oh, God, that's funny. has been our conversation about parts in a movie where did you squirm? Did you wince? <laughs> did you squint your eyes real tight? It's probably because of what we around here call. That ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, dude. Well, um, mm. I think I think too, like one of the things that can be advantageous and 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 possibly a bit disadvantageous is the themes of this film are simultaneously legion and they're simultaneously on the nose. Um, like it, it's very easy to go to a number of different places about abuses of power about um, there was even an interesting little thing that, you know, they don't do anything with this except character wise, but I do find it interesting that the representatives of the primary conflict are agents of the church and agents of the state essentially mm-hmm. you, you have 
you know, essentially, uh, Matthew Hopkins is acting, yes, <clears throat> under the permission of the magistrate and under the full c- civil and legal authority, but operating as, you know, more of a spiritual sort of veneer that he's portraying. Meanwhile, you have the might of the military and the soldiers. And I find that conflict very interesting. I find that being uh, the, the central sort of um, battle not, and the peasants are really caught in the middle of it. The the townspeople, the the regular folk are just kind of the victims here. Um, but right. I found that very interesting. Um, but I do think there's something that, again, is pretty obvious when you watch the film. So it's, it's not necessarily something that we need to, or we can if we want to, but that, you know, will require a whole lot of work for us to draw out or unpack is, is a lot of what um, has already been mentioned about just Matthew Hopkins is clearly not doing benevolent work. And the film calls it out. Like whenever uh, Marshall is like coming after him or when they know when he and Stern have realized like, oh, Richard Marshall is going to seek revenge on us. I mean, Vincent Price's next line is he's like, you forget our power. Maybe he's a witch. (laughs) And I'm just like, wow, you're not even pretending anymore. (laughs) Like now you're just not even now you're just leveraging what you've been given and i do find it this this is my grief for modern sensibilities my grief for modern sensibilities is how easy it is for something that may i say may in almost all capital letters it might have begun as a legitimate question begun as a legitimate investigation it might have been it might have been started in the fullest extent of authenticity, but then it gets weaponized. And when that notion gets weaponized, then now we're going to leverage this as a power chip to achieve our ends. Or, you know, we're going to leverage this this thing that people have questions about or this thing that people are uncertain about. And because they don't have the know-how to argue against us, we're going to present ourselves as persons of authority and going to transact all kinds of deliberate falsehoods because who's going to argue with us? We have the authority, we have the voice, we have the platforms. We're going to do what we think is best. And that's a very, very scary thing. Scarier even more so in, like I said, how it doesn't even have to begin in avarice. It doesn't have to begin in wickedness. It could begin as something, you know, that that may be a, a version of legitimate concern. But then when powerful, greedy, selfish people get a hold of it, then they leverage it. And it's really difficult for me to untangle at that point. You know, it's kind of the chicken and the egg argument, which came first. And I would also ask, like, what's the value here now? Like, now, what's the value in all of this that it's been so stained and distorted? by all of the different lenses through which it's been weaponized and through which it's been commodified. And now it's, it's, it's a power chip. It's a, it's a power play. It's a strategic move and it's no longer uh, a worthwhile conversation anymore. I should say it this way that it's very difficult to anymore have a worthwhile conversation about it because of how political lines have been drawn or social lines have been drawn around it. And uh, it, that is a lot of what this film brought up in me individually is just distressing how easy it is for something like that to turn into something nasty and vicious and terrifying for the people who are ground up under the, the cogs of that machine. 
one of my uh, favorite lines in the entire movie, uh, and Vincent Price nails it, was uh, he, he was telling talking. Stern was um, confronting him, and I actually I I love to hate the character Stern um, mm-hmm. because it, it would have been super easy to make Stern, you know, just kind of his sidekick, you know, yes sir, yes sir. But Stern is constantly like, oh, I know you. You think you're so religious. You're so right. Blah, blah, blah. But no, you like you like the tour. You know, he said something like, you know, it's like uh, Vincent or Hopkins to Stern's like, you like tur- or torture. And he's like, don't you or something like that. It, mm-hmm. um, but my one of my favorite lines is uh, uh, Hopkins says, uh, uh, Stern, uh, I, I have great value for all life, especially mine. And, oh uh, yeah <laughs> you know, it just kind There's of like own. yeah it's like i no one is going to 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 stop me and i will always be one step ahead if i can toss in there because i think if only for documentation read your your you know my takeaway was a different wording of what you just described which is you know i feel like we um, and I'm sure this has gone on for ages, uh, you know, decades, hundreds of years, maybe more, but, you know, our experience tends to be what we speak from and what, what this movie just really drove home for me is this dangerous and extremely erroneous thought that exists and exists a lot in modern religious circles, especially in America, but like, possibly elsewhere, but I'm speaking from my own, again, location here, but is the assumption that positions of authority confer integrity, Mm. that, that Mm. occupying that position is the, 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 the covering of integrity when in fact it's positioning people of integrity that confer it upon position. Right. Mm. And you know, I, I'll be the one because I occasionally do to get r- real here is it's like we're living in such a weird ass time of like, y'all, do you know how much I paid attention or knew about or cared about the Supreme Court of America of the United States <laughs> five, six, seven years ago? Not a damn wit. Yeah. yeah and right. now I'm like, oh, hmm, <laughs> yeah. OK, this is what we're doing. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It is not the thing itself that confers integrity. It is people of good faith subsuming their intentions to the common good uh, for the betterment and flourishing of an entire society from the bottom up and not bought and paid for and or self-seeking and serving self-interest. Like it's such I want to be clear here. I am not saying these institutions are a joke. Absolutely not. There is a, a rich history and, and, and legacy that should be, uh, should be carried forward with, you know, uh, democratic institutions in a society, but the notion, and I, I got it because I was very vocal in 2016 online. I got a lot of like, well, you know, I can't remember the scripture passage that would get thrown at me, but about, you know, authority, people in authority, you know, we respect the people in power. It's like, no. What the fuck, man? No, we don't like, no. I, and, 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 and the, 
rhetorical examples are legion that you could say, oh, well, what about the husband who beats his wife? Do we just assume authority there and respect right. authority there uh, because, yeah. quote unquote, he's the husband? What about the pastor? You know, what about the president? Like all these positions that that and and hear me, I actually am not saying, you know, again, burn it down or or, or cynically stating we don't respect the thing. I'm saying use your friggin eyeballs mm-hmm. now. To be fair, people are gaslighting you <laughs> and it's very hard for real. It's very hard to trust your eyes when people are telling you what you're seeing is in fact, not what you're seeing. So I'm, I'm compassionate towards that, but yeah. you know, I, I get pretty friggin' sick of the notion that a, we're not allowed to question things or, um, hmm, let me rephrase that. We're not allowed to be discerning, right? I'm not allowed to be like, Hmm. Oh no. And that somehow, you know, I, I couldn't get away watching this performance. And this is why I was so slack jawed when I read, oh, huh, real person, huh, didn't really see that coming, but makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's easy to overlook in the movie, but it is such a vital part that this takes place during the English Civil War, uh, mm-hmm. where someone like Hopkins can pop up. Yeah. And there's so much disunity and so much like who's in power. Is it Cromwell or is it the King? No one really knows. And you're just kind of, all I know is the crops that come in this year. And here comes this guy who all my friends from all the neighboring towns said, Oh no, he's a good guy. He knows what he's talking about. Says your crops didn't show up because uh, mm. Elizabeth and Sarah yes. are convening with the devil. And you go, Oh, mm. Okay, well, you know, so it, it, you know, so it's so interesting that it takes place. Yep. Right. So it's, yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it, during times of political uncertainty, you know, and you're just trying to, I'm just, I don't know who's in charge. I'm just trying to get by. And this yeah. guy seems to make sense. Yeah. Uh, when really, in fact, it's the most horrific thing you could ever, you know, get by. And, yeah. and I, I find it so fascinating. The movie is, is, they're invited, you know, Hopkins and Stern are invited. They're, they're, yes, the, the, the townsfolk for, you know, they're not waving palm branches, but they're waving palm branches, you know, they're like, yes, yeah, right mm-hmm. this way over to the Papist, you know, to, to the, the Catholic priest and his niece right over here, you know, and, uh, mm. well, and if I can throw out, I'm sorry for, for getting spun up here, but like, I thought about this when the banter was happening, I, I, I guess. Uh, Leland, it was when you were identifying uh, the finale as your that ain't right, because I thought about this of like random inclusion here. But so uh, I, I am in a sales role in my vocation and I was uh, chatting with one of my clients recently and I, I very rarely to never uh, and absolutely never open the door to these conversations. But if if clients of mine open a door and I'm of a sympathetic stripe, I will indulge the conversation. Um, but they were talking about their adult child. We, we were, we were kind of lamenting, you know, some uh, th- these last few years and, and they were talking about their adult child who worked in pharmaceutical sales and, and how this person, their, their child was uh, feeling this strain, this weird kind of tension because he came from a family of origin that was, um, you know, I guess you'd call them progressive or Democrat or whatever, you know, uh, if you're putting political labels on it. Uh, and, and yet because of the economic robustness 
of the career he had, he was pulled to these ideologies that are very much uh, don't tax me. I want to keep all my money type stuff. And it got me mm-hmm. thinking um, and and help me remember to do this, to, to tether what I'm saying about money to violence, um, mm-hmm. because it got me thinking about that. And, and, and these ways, I think, um, I, I hate that. I sometimes feel like I'm uh, uh, beating a dead horse with comments like this, but these ways, I feel like we've kind of failed each other, uh, morally on a, a, a view of money and, and and economics and and carrying that mm. rightly in other words uh why is this guy struggling or, or or what is it about having money that makes it it makes it very difficult and and where did the teaching get lost and where or, yeah. or never just or just never happen or the church just bought into no money's great get all that you can and all that you right. should right. all that you will and don't really worry about everybody else like like what happened there and so i'm going to take that over into the notion of violence here too right mm. like we we are repulsed by uh matthew and there to your point leland there's that moment where we're we're galvanized by richard and then we're like oh my god and and reed you said something in that ain't right of like i'm not sure the film actually had this on my mind on its mind i actually think maybe it does it, mm. it's not from a not from a uh culturally religious standpoint but perhaps from a moral standpoint which is sure you got, you got too close to the flame like yeah you are and 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 so then what is the teaching um on it, it, it's it's funny I'm, I'm going all over the place i really didn't know this, <laughs> all over the place but uh, uh we've talked about the show a lot on the fear of god and and i will resist any sort of thing that might be suggestive of spoilers but the show ted lasso just finished and for all of its uh i i you know on a pure technical level some of it's kind of a mess narratively but the beauty of that show is the picture painted and what's so wild about it is it's it is it's borderline fantasy of of what it could what it's what it should look like to be compassionate humans in a modern society like really yeah that's the story it's trying to tell and so you 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 take that like you can this doesn't have to be fantasy honestly i'm more worried we're richard more often than we're ted lasso and that's Mm. a pretty jacked up paradigm to paint of of people of faith like we we say uh spin up the the machines of war right like mm-hmm. uh because my 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 hands are clean personally uh, but even if they're not i mean i hear stupid stuff like well if someone shows up at your house you need to be armed and ready for them. like holy cow mm-hmm. man like mm-hmm. where why why in money why in violence have we decided acceptable atrocity or, right. or atrocity right. is acceptable and and anyway, sorry, I'm running off the mouth. A lot, a lot of my mind and heart these days. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, well, but it, it raises a good point because I, I think the argument that tends to be made and adopted and accepted far too easily is, well, threats like Matthew Hopkins need to be stopped and they can only sure. be stopped one way. I sometimes, maybe, maybe to a fault of mine, I reject that hypothesis but they can only be stopped one way. Like I, I reject that hypothesis. Um, I feel there's a, there's a profound contrast to be had between the way that the priest, the uncle uh, responds in the very beginning and the way that Richard responds. Um, and I think it, it's a, it's a challenging notion to us trying to navigate the world as, as wholly W H O L L Y 
and faithfully as we can. It's a challenge to us to say like, well, look at the priest, like, you know, yeah, sure. He was faithful to the end and kept his integrity and kept his, his spirit, you know, uh, his, his last sentence being one, you know, not too uh, dissimilar to Christ on the cross being like, you know, forgive you for everything that you're doing. And then we're left with that grisly, grisly image of him just hanging from the tree. No music, no nothing. He's just there. It's just, it's, it's very bald in the sense of just, there's, there's no adornment to his death, but you contrast that to somebody like Richard who <laughs> definitively stops the threat. But as we've already discussed, what is he left with? Like, what does he walk away with? Like, he stopped the threat, but what is he, what is he left with? And I think you, you talk about money and violence, and I think about this a lot, of this notion of counting the cost and the notion that the scriptures give to us of, you know, what, what has it profited you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? That's the money conversation. Take it to the violence one. What has it profited you if you've stopped the threat and lost yourself in the process? What has that profited you to stop that threat by the loss of, you know, what you know to be right and good and faithful? And I think it's a it's a tension that we really do have to wrestle with as a as a civil society, as a as a functioning society. We have to wrestle with how are we going to stop opportunists who rise up in the midst of a divided people and sees their own propagation. The historical figure, I go back to this, the historical figure in two to three years slaughtered 300 people on what it is not difficult to believe would be trumped up charges simply for his own whims. I don't need to be a historian to put that together. When you look at the the scope of hmm, three centuries, they killed 500 people for witchcraft. And in two to three of those years, Two-thirds of those were done by this guy. It does not take very much you know, in, you know, investigation to understand what's, what's going on there. And I feel like as a, as a person for myself, as a person who tries very, very hard to follow the Jesus way, follow the example that I believe Christ has left us, that is a tension that we have to wrestle with where it's like, Nathan, you invoked the thing like, okay, well, you're just going to let the world run all over you. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I do know that it would do me no good to keep the world from running all over me by putting my own soul on the altar of that security. That will do me no good. Uh, it, it won't matter at that point. Whether at the, the end of the day, if not. we're getting real, real, like getting run all over is a far more Christ-like position than doing the running over, uh, right? I mean, yes, like, yes. and so, you know, these these things are difficult to parse out and, and you know, let's look at every single situation we could ever imagine and figure out you know, <laughs> X and Y. Because I, I, in right, sincerity, right. I think about things like Ukraine and Russia right now. Like, sure, while of course. Yeah. I'm not a proponent of active, you know, uh, aggressive violence, like, that is a situation where, you know, and a giant aggressor sought the eradication of, and, right. and, and there is a, a, a form of integrity present when, uh, a people, you know, resist oppressors. And so I, I can respect that, you know, I think perhaps the distinguishing aspect of what we're talking about here and specifically 
displayed in Witchfinder General is just that revenge conceit, like the yeah. willingness to meet out a thing because of the wrong dealt you uh, yeah. in in a in a sort of heinous fashion. I, I don't know; it's kind of yeah. bigger than me, but I know it's merits no, conversation. No, I get it. Well, um, why don't we do this? Uh, we're we're nearing the end of our time. So what I'll do is I'll just uh, I'll kind of toss out there before we go to our final measurements, the the fog meter and everything. Uh, Leland, I'll start to you first as our guest. Is there anything else that you wanted to explore or 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 say about this film or about these subjects? Um, and uh, you know, invite you to do so openly right now before we wind to a close. What you what you got? What you thinking? Sure, I, I did want to add because I, I did watch a. 20 minute documentary on Matthew Hopkins on YouTube. And I oh. guess I, I, I don't know. If, now that I, I'm starting to say it, I actually don't know if that guy could have just yes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he was British. And so uh, all in all, oh, had, had to be right. Had to be right. <laughs> British uh, documentary. So uh, Matthew Hopkins. Uh, so the way his like tirade uh, got stopped was he went to town and uh this is you know year two or three and uh accused like a hundred people of being witches and parliament got a hold of it and went no (laughs) a hundred and so they said no no stop don't execute them we'll send in our own you know judges yeah and the judges came back and said no only like 18 or 19 of them are witches so Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you still had, you know, wow. people still condemned for witchcraft. But that was kind of the end where people were like, "Oh, golly, you know, he, he." I think he, you know, uh, flew too close to the sun. Was like, yeah. got a little greedy. And truth paid by witch and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's similar with the Salem witch trials. I believe they finally came to an end because it got so fervorous and somebody accused the wrong person's daughter or the wrong person's nephew, like one of the, one of the higher ups. And then somebody accused like their daughter and they're like, wait a minute, (laughs) like, hold on a second. And what's wild about that notion is just, you know, um, there, there's a passage. I don't know why this is coming out in this context because it had nothing to do with the story, but uh, the passage in the prodigal son parable where right before the prodigal son turns and and comes back home, it says the scripture phrases it um, as when he had come to his senses. Mm. And I think a lot when we talk about distress, when we talk about the madness of current events or current tensions, um, and that phrase comes to me, comes to my mind and my heart a lot of just like, whether it be socially, communally, uh, individually, th- this whole like, okay, you're spiraling. There are, you know, a lot of just dreadful things happening, but there comes a moment where you just, when you come to your senses and be like, okay, I'm, I'm, uh, gobbling up pig slop here. Like I, I've got to, I've got to turn and I've got to go and, and, and be different and do different and uh and just and just make different choices and um and i i i feel like that is one of the few things that we can try to seek i don't know how realistic it is in in however many cases to hope for but i hope for it and i know it's something that we can seek and and maybe even pray for um if we're inclined to that direction of just like hey put me to my senses like help me come into my senses mm-hmm. so that this madness so that this spiraling just stops 
And so that if I'm in the position, you know, whether I'm in a position of, you know, under the avalanche and just taking it all and trying to find a way to put a stop to it, or, you know, maybe if I'm uniquely in a position to put a stop to it, just help me to do so in keeping with my senses, in keeping with, with being able to just keep my sense of self, my sense of righteousness. And uh, I think too many of us give too little inclination towards that end um, very often. Uh, it's, it's easy to lose yourself in the midst of it. Um, man, I have, I have loved this conversation. This is, uh, Leland, we are so happy to have you. This has been a lot of fun, and I really, really hope that you have had a lot of fun too because, man. This has been a blast. We love this kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I don't know if I, I got too passionate, but I, I, I could talk about this stuff all day. Yeah. No, there's, it, there's no such awesome. thing as, yeah. yeah, there's no such thing as too passionate on the fear of God. Um, so what we're going to do uh, right before we... Uh, okay. Well, what, what, what does it profit you to be too passionate and lose your podcast? So yeah, I get that. (laughs) But, um, so, but, uh, what we'll do before we sign off is, uh, Leland, we have a very specific, uh, rating system here. We call the fog meter where we measure things as the name implies by fear and God. Uh, this doesn't measure the quality of the films. It measures kind of the gravity of the films. How weighty are they? How difficult are they to watch fear-wise? How thoughtful and provocative are they going to be uh, substance and thematic-wise? So um, we'll give you a moment to think about that. We grade these on a measure of zero to 10. Uh, Nathan, though Leland is our guest, I'm going to give him a little bit to wrap his head around that metric while we go first. Uh, what would you give Witchfinder General for the fear measurement zero to ten um though i think it's it's story is pretty well real time real time i was gonna say maybe I'd, I'd i'd bring it down here but like you know i mean watching um the the tameness of some of its you know kind of sexual dynamics scenes uh uh would would potentially because oh that's not graphic and it's not overly whatever would potentially bring it down a little bit but the the sort of watching hopkins right watching him be himself uh Mm -hmm. and and do the things he does kind of pushes it way back up so i i don't know i think i'm gonna and and with the cherry on the top of the finale i'm gonna go with an eight all right um, I'm actually going to join you there. I knew beforehand I was going to land on an eight for this. Because I like how it, you just suddenly were like, "Hey, Nathan, please be more prepared for the fog meter at the end." That was I'm not true. <laughs> <laughs> you receive what prepared. you want. <laughs> um, it's not self. It's a witch. <laughs> no, so. <laughs> no, <just> <laughs> so, um, but no, I also am landing on an eight. Because, you know, we've stressed it a couple of times. The film is not visually exploitative or graphic, but what is happening narratively and what you are seeing and, and thinking about what you were seeing is very harrowing. Um, so I think it, it well earns that eight, even though it doesn't go into the territory of a lot of egregious, uh, you know, extra things that it would um, point to or, or just let the camera linger on for too long uh so yeah i'm going to give it an eight for the fear measurement leland what would you give it zero to ten on fear measurement so as i was watching as as i was re-watching it earlier this week uh, my wife who will not watch horror movies uh with me uh came out and then uh, following her was her little shadow 
um, <laughs> our, our one and a half year old who woke up and kind of crawled out and she was doing something in the kitchen. And of course, uh, our one and a half year old uh, came and sat in my lap and I'm watching it. I was like, you know, this movie, it doesn't have that much horror in it. You know, it's not people talking. And of course, as I'm doing this, you know, like the, you know, sexual assault scene happens. Oh, and, no. You know, like all this stuff happens. I'm like, hey, dude, stop watching. You know? <laughs> and uh, so, and then that final scene, you know, I definitely think it's horror. Uh, I, I definitely see, you know, that eight. Uh, but in the back of my head is my brother's voice who uh i don't know if my brother has seen this movie but my brother would be like this is a narrative you know this is a drama this is not a horror mm, mm. and so if i gave it an eight i would never hear it from the end of my brother <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our family reunions are a little bit easier i'm gonna say six on the fear with uh, that thing that like that the the topics are very you know I would not recommend this movie without giving, you know, some warnings of like, this is the topics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the okay subject. Gaslighting and, you know, rape and sexual assault. And, you know, it's, yeah. It's, you know, um, yeah. Abuse of power, especially as well. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, uh, totally resonate with that. Uh, Leland, I'm going to let you close this off as well. Nathan, I'm coming back, back to you for the God meter zero to 10 on the God. Uh, the the notion of the film's intentionality of knowing what it's doing or not has has been on my mind since we started this conversation and partly since you invoked it Reed. And, and you know it could be they just decided hey this is a pretty badass way to end a, a little horror flick you know there's a world where that kind of uh creative inspiration could have struck but i also think that ending is so synchronous with the overall tone and themes that it's hard to deny the power of it yeah. uh and so because of that i i'm gonna give it a nine on god all right all right uh perhaps surprising listeners and everything i'm, I'm actually gonna go on a 10 for this i feel like it's the way it deploys its ideas is so um simultaneously as i've said before it's so simultaneously um on the nose, but it, it's got a pretty deep well of some things that you could apply. Think about the characters, few as they are, are pretty rich. Like I think Stern, who didn't get tremendous amount of play in our conversation, but like Stern's a fascinating character. We keep referencing that assault scene. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows why the priest has been spared. He knows how to, you know, as an opportunist, how to gain his own ends. And so the characters alone, like there's a lot of richness in being able to unpack the psychology of these characters and what they do. So yeah, I'm, I'm landing on a 10 uh, for the substance or the God meter of it. Uh, the, I just think there's a lot to think about and a lot to chew on. Uh, seen this film a couple of times now, and it's really, it, it, it's very, very thought provoking. Um, Leland, uh, bring us home. What would you give it on the God meter? Zero to 10. So uh, the very opening shot, uh, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but you know, uh, death of the artist and all that. So uh, I can't, um, <laughs> the opening shot is a, is a shot of the sun and the, the, the rays of the sun form a cross. Mm. And I kind of, I'm going to interpret that as, uh, God is watching down, um, mm. on these events happening, but God does not at all in the movie interact or stop or it does right. not 
do anything in, in this story. Now, what's fascinating or is interesting is in the Bible, there's, um, I mentioned earlier, there's three major rape and revenge narratives. Um, so Genesis 34 and Dina, Judges 19, which we talked about earlier, and then Second uh, Kings 13, uh, Tamar. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a book, and I can't remember. I think it's the name of the book. I'm going to butcher the name, which is horrible, and I can't think of the <laughs> scholar's name either. But it's on. Uh, I think it's called like uh, God in the in rape narratives of the Hebrew Bible. Huh? That's not. Yeah, I feel horrible. Um, no, that's okay because she she's uh, she graduated before I did. Um, uh, but I, I never met her. But anyway, so she argues that. And the, the rape revenge narratives in the Bible, God is never present. Ooh. So God never shows up in Judges 19, doesn't show up in um, Genesis 34 or in Second Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a whole chapter where she talks about uh, her a fourth possible rape revenge story is Bathsheba. Um, yeah. Right. And she says, yeah, by all accounts, it, it's rape, except or it, it's rape, but God shows up in this passage. And it's the only time in these, wow. these, the, these narratives that God shows up. And uh, so in which friend of general, I, I, I feel like there's this, the God's watching down, but never present, which I think is very biblical <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. in wow. an ironic mm-hmm. way, you know, kind of, you know, you would expect, you know, when is God going to show up and, and, and stop these horrors? And then it, God doesn't. Uh, yeah. And, um, so I'm going to go with 10, you know, it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I was like, this could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think which finder general really, uh, whether on purpose or not kind of knows that, that biblical idea of, of at least how rape and revenge is dealt with in the Bible. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. Is, uh, yeah. God, God doesn't seem to be present. So it's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, very, very well said. Very well put. Um, and that means that we give Witchfinder General an eight and a half on the fog meter. A very, very just strong showing. Uh, just round it up to a nine, huh? Yep. <laughs> just round it up to a nine. Nine on the fog meter. Um, yeah, it's it's a it is a film that, and this is maybe the more perhaps relevant question to listeners who have who've uh, heard the conversation but maybe haven't watched it yet. Is um, uh, do we recommend the film, Leland? Do you recommend people watch Witchfinder General? Uh, if you like Vincent Price, yes, uh, I think it's a very good movie. I would recommend it, but I would definitely give trigger warnings to uh, anyone who who might not, who might be, you know, uh, does the dog die dot com? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Visit, <laughs> visit that website and find out. Yeah, On, uh, uh, yeah, I think I'm in the same boat with with the qualifiers and caveats that the subject matter is harrowing. Um, I, th- I think that's, you know, it's been said a dozen times now that like, yeah, subject matter is harrowing. Visuals are not exploitative. If you know what you're going into, I think it's an incredible film. I think it's an amazing film, especially for the time it's given. Nathan, you cited briefly earlier that it's, it, it's remarkably beautiful to look at, like cinematography, except for, you know, one shot where two writers are completely darkened for yeah. no reason whatsoever. Really, a lot of the shots really look like paintings. I mean, kind of like you'd seen yeah. you know, the English countryside. Yeah. 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 Very, very beautiful film to look at um, in, in many ways. And so like, yeah, I, I strongly recommend it. Uh, I think it's, it's one of, I think Vincent Price cited it as his, 
uh, favorite of the roles that he had taken in terms of like the, the strength of his performance and everything. I think he was one of the most proud of, of that performance. And I think the film really, really holds up well. So with those qualifiers, I recommend it. Nathan, do you? Um, well, if you're a fan of Vincent Price, if you're a fan of Bill Hader's impression of Vincent Price, uh, <laughs> for sure. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, um, I didn't find myself, you know, upset by the film itself. It's, it's kind of mm. once you sort of start kind of processing what you watch that it's like, oh, oh. Whoa, mm. you know, like, like mm-hmm. at, with, with that, uh, final beat as well. So, I, I mean, I think for our people, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's kind of a canonical and I didn't even know that before viewing it, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, not to the, uh, just non-horror fan, not to the casual even perhaps, but, you know, to our folks who are intelligent and thoughtful and, you know, sensitive and, and can indulge these, uh, things with with care i don't think any of the the visuals are graphic enough to be distressing it it might be the residual effect that gets you but but yeah yeah i, mean, I, I think it's worth a watch for sure yeah awesome awesome well uh leland want to thank you again so much for spending yes. your time with us this evening it's it's really been great to meet you and to have you uh we will definitely do this again and uh, i'm really really looking forward to whenever that happens so thank you so much for your time <laughs> Before you let me go, uh, I, yep. I I just found the the book I was referencing. Oh yes, by all means, go yeah. ahead. I feel really bad uh, no. uh, because I should have already written down, but it's called "The Absence of God in Biblical Rape Narratives" by Leah Reidiger Schulte. Oh, nice. fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think in this conversation, you've given me at least six books that I am eagerly <laughs> curious to check out, which I'm always appreciative of. So thank you very much for that. And uh, Nathan, thank you as always. And listeners, this was your first installment of our new intermission series called What the Folk. Uh, we will be back uh, with three more um, exercises in folk horror next week. Uh, you've heard us mention a couple of times there's considered to be like a kind of an unholy trinity of folk horror films. We've covered The Wicker Man. Uh, if you haven't seen The Wicker Man, go watch The Wicker Man and listen to our episode about it. I love that film. <laughs> Um, and then uh, I try, that's a great conversation in fun. And our episode, our episode is fun. Um, but uh, also, we've just discussed Witchfinder General. Next week, we're going to round out that that trilogy. Um, next week, we are going to be going to the other film that is often referenced: uh, The Blood on Satan's Claw. Uh, very, very, uh, you know, sort of throws the gauntlet down kind of title. Um, so next week we are going to be continuing our folk horror series with the blood on Satan's claw. Uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Leland, thank you so much again. Nathan, thank you as always. Thank Listeners, you. thank Absolutely. you very much. And uh, you, we'll Nathan. see you next week, everybody. Thanks. See you guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. 
There, you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.